As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Friday, July 8th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior. Welcome to those of you watching us live on YouTube. We usually go live at 4 o'clock Eastern each and every Friday. As we do every Friday, we dig into some interesting hitters that are hopefully available in many leagues. It's a variety of different players each and every week. We've got some shallow league bats. we got some deep league bats. we got shallow league pitchers. we got deep league pitchers. The one thing we don't have a lot of again this week are viable relievers. So as things appear to be going into the weekend, it does not look like a particularly great weekend at the moment to find saves if that's the category that you're chasing. But a lot can change between Friday afternoon and Sunday evening when waivers run in a lot of leagues. Al, let's start with some shallow league bats. Let's start with one that you put on the rundown today. Nathaniel Lowe, it seems like he's making some of the adjustments that people were hoping for. I know our friend Eno Saris wrote him up as one of his preferred sleepers for this year because he shows underlying abilities to hit the ball very hard. In the past, it's come with a lot of ground balls. seems like more recently, he is unlocking that power in a way that could be really a game changer, even in shallow leagues. And I think that's the the operative phrase in shallow leagues because we have talked about low pretty recently. I want to say maybe two, three weeks ago on here when he started unlocking some of that power, getting really hot. Nothing has changed for Lowe since then. So he's still uh, hitting home runs, still producing runs, still uh, in the, over the last six weeks or so uh, hitting uh, above 300. And um, the only thing that that isn't really changing at the same pace is his roster rates. So he's still very available in a lot of 12 teamers. And I, when you're talking about a hitter who you know, if you take the last quarter season and you uh, and you you pace that out over a, a full season, I mean, you're looking at somebody who would be on a 320, 40 homer, 100 RBI, 100 run pace, and yet you could still probably go in your 12 team league and go pick them up this weekend, and you yeah. probably should. Yeah, definitely an opportunity in those more shallow leagues, and I, I think where he hits in the lineup, the playing time, volume, those things are also at a level where you can trust him in those more shallow formats where he's still available. I think he went from a player that earlier in the season in deeper leagues, maybe you had him in a 15-team league on your roster, 
He might have been in and out of the lineup based on the schedule. He's probably in more consistently right now if you've been rostering him up to this point. But the K rate's down just a little bit from where it was last year. And the big change, of course, the ground ball rate for the season down from 54.5% for low a year ago to 45.9% so far this season. Uh, On pace for about 25 home runs for the full season. But as you said, Al, if he keeps doing what he's been doing, he might get closer to 30 by season's end. Uh, I think Ramon Laureano is worth talking about as well. Again, not really available in anything deeper than probably 12 teams at most, but he is playing really well since coming back from his PED suspension. Uh, lowest K rate of his career so far, 22.9%. Swinging at pitches outside the zone less often this season than he did a year ago. Uh, is hitting the ball on the ground a bit more, but really a do-everything sort of player and someone that could actually end up on a better team at the trade deadline as well because I think he along with names like Brian Reynolds and Cedric Mullins makes a lot of sense for contending teams looking for an upgrade in their outfield yeah as long as he can sustain what he's been doing for the last few weeks where we're really seeing a version of Loriano that's much more similar to what we saw um just a few years back when he was considered uh like a mid-round power speed threat and now, uh, you know, in leagues where he was, you know, drafted, like I said, in the middle rounds, now he's really uh, available in those shallower leagues and um, looking very much like somebody who can give you that same uh, across the board contribution in, in different categories. So we're seeing more power from him in the last month plus or so. And maybe that does make him a more attractive uh, trade candidate for Oakland and then you get him in a better situation obviously a, about as bad of a situation as you could have him uh right now at least he is hitting in the the upper portion of the A's order but um that's the only thing we could really look for an upgrade there and, and maybe we do get that in a few weeks we got one other shallow league focus question because I think he's been snapped up in most two catcher leagues by now Is Cal Raleigh, with his recent surge behind the plate, is he playing his way into single catcher leagues for you? Is he even maybe a top 10 catcher at this point based on what he's providing on a day-to-day basis? He, he absolutely is. And I was looking at catcher roto value rankings a little bit earlier today. And I want to say Raleigh was like 15th or 16th. Now that includes the earlier portion of the season when he was striking out at an obscene rate, hitting well below 200. And even with that baked into his total stats right now, still well with inside the top 20. Now, if you take what he's done for the last month or so, um, Maybe he he uh, strikes out a little bit more going forward. I mean, he's just radically rolled back that strikeout rate. Um, so even if there's a little regression there, I think he's top 10, top 12 uh, with all the power that he provides. He's really just taken over that role for Seattle with this recent surge in performance. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm on board with Raleigh in leagues where you just don't have one of those top seven, top eight type catchers already locked in on the production side because I think playing time and underlying numbers here look really good. I make leaderboards most weeks of all the players we talk about on the show just to get a sense for how they really stack up to each other. Cal Raleigh has the highest barrel rate of all the hitters on the rundown. That includes a couple guys like Daniel Vogelback, who barrels the ball pretty often. Um, Ramon Laureano, we just talked about sitting at 10%. I mean, 15.9% in the barrel rate is a really nice thing to see for Cal Raleigh, and he's more than just that with that K rate also 
headed in the right direction. So don't sleep on him if you're in a single catcher league because previously he may have not been on your radar. I'm curious to know what you are making of Nico Horner these days. Of course, he's eligible at second and shortstop in most leagues. What's the cutoff for the types of leagues in which you're going to roster him and actually have him in your lineups? I think it's uh, somewhat based on on categorical needs because uh, Horner is definitely a batting average guy. I mean, he's now showing for the second year in a row that he could be a 300 hitter. He's not a great contributor to steals, but he helps there somewhat. Uh, the powers there, I mean, it's, it's compared to most players, you would look at uh, the, the power stats, whether you're just looking at the four home runs or you're looking at the barrel rate and you're saying, this is a player that doesn't have much power, but it's more power than I think pretty much all of us expected. So I think for for Horner, the real um, kind of pivot point with him having broader appeal is, is he going to be able to to produce more runs? And uh, I think now that he is hitting higher up in the order that he can do that. The Cubs offense actually hasn't been bad. We'll see what it looks like after August 2nd, after the trade deadline. But I don't know that they have that many tradable players in the everyday lineup as it is. So I think Horner could could help there as well. So you know, obviously, if you need batting average, I think he's, he's a 12-teamer guy. And the comparison that I made in the waiver column this week was with Luis Arias, um, who is obviously a batting average uh, contributor, uh, probably due for a little bit of regression, but uh, somebody that you could count on to hit 300, 310 the rest of the way. Horner's peripherals, if you look at how the two of them have built their profile, they're extremely similar, except that Horner actually does steal some bases. And yet Horner is pretty much completely available in 12 teamers, maybe even in some slightly deeper leagues, and you can't get Luis Arias anywhere. So there's a big gap there. I'm not sure how much that says that Arias might be a little bit over-rostered, but definitely I think it says something about Horner needing needing to be picked up in, in some leagues. Yeah, there's a couple of things that are, are working in, in Horner's favor. He's playing great defense, which is going to keep him in the lineup every single day. I mean, the lineup position that you talked about, I think, is important just in terms of the counting stats being a tick better for someone that doesn't bring a lot of power to the table. If he hits three or four more home runs the rest of the season, I think that's kind of a, a win in that category. But he's seven for eight as a base dealer, and that's backed by being some of the sprint speed that's currently in the 92nd percentile. So he's a good runner, a very good runner, the kind of guy that could keep getting those green lights with that success rate he's showing so far and being on a team that, while the offense maybe isn't terrible right now, I think post-deadline, as you suggested, they could take a step back, even if they don't really move a lot of guys. Even if Wilson Contreras stays, they're trying to manufacture runs. They're not going anywhere as far as the playoffs go. That bodes well, I think, for players like Horner getting more chances to run. If they're playing spoiler, they'll probably be a bit more aggressive on the base pass than they would be if they were actually in the mix for a playoff spot. Uh, Rafael Ortega still there with the Cubs right now. I think the only real risk I see with him is that he could get traded to a contender and then fall into a bench role because I think that's probably what he is on a playoff-bound team, even though he's been a nice story since really kind of breaking through in the second half of last season. I do wonder about that with Ortega, and I, if I didn't take a closer look, I would absolutely agree with you. But I think that since he's become a Cubs, since he came over to the Cubs last year, 
that he has been a little bit more of a well-rounded offensive player. So he's uh, hit for average uh, both both seasons that he's been with the Cubs, uh, more so last year than this year. Currently has a 261 average, but hit 291 last year. 11 home runs last year. So far, four home runs this year. I think maybe he's gotten a little bit cheated as far as that, that's concerned. He probably should have more home runs than Nico Horner does. And I have to admit, also, I'm surprised that over between between last season and this season, 19 stolen bases for Ortega. So that's a pretty well-rounded profile that he's got. There's there's a little bit of power there. And, um, you know, somebody who could finish the year with 15 or more, 15 to 20 stolen bases, and uh, maybe a little bit of upside still with that batting average. I think I've got a few outfielders coming up that are available in a few more leagues that I have a little more confidence in, but I think Ortega does scratch the, uh, can do a little bit of everything itch if you're trying to just find a balanced player to slot in to maybe a fifth outfield spot in a league that has 14 plus teams. The other names that I think are interesting, one, a former Cub, after we talked about a couple of current Cubs, Jonathan VR has popped up with the Angels. He's getting a chance to play every day, it appears, for now at least, at third base. And he's let off four consecutive games since joining the team last weekend. I think the situation is better. He's got Trout and Otani and Taylor Ward and Jared Walsh all hitting behind him as a member of the Angels. So am I wrong for having some interest in Jonathan VR, even though we're pretty clear on what his skills flaws are at this point in his career? I, I would agree with you. It's a much better situation. Obviously, more playing time, hitting leadoff is is a nice thing in uh, that upper part of the lineup. Uh, I mean, the, the Angels overall have been a pretty abysmal offensive team, but that top half is obviously uh, really good and, and uh, could help VR's value out a lot. The the little bit of hedging that I'm doing here, and DVR, I think you probably remember, we talked about this, maybe it was even back in March, about how all of a sudden, VR is somebody we probably should expect to hit more home runs than have stolen bases. And so I think just kind of that automatic urge that we've always had where we see, okay, VR is getting pretty regular playing time. That means steals. I'm not so sure that that's true now. Yeah, seven for seven, though, this season now split between the two teams. I, I'm I'm looking at what he did last year. 18 homers, 14 steals. That was in 505 plate appearances. I think given his age, the previous stolen base ceiling is much lower, right? We're not talking about a guy that's going to have a, a 35 steal pace over the course of the second half. That's that's not who he is anymore. But if he's the equivalent of a 15-15 a player at the top of that lineup, and if you're in an OBP league, he gets a little bit of a nudge there. Less, less of a liability in an OBP league than he is in a batting average league. At least that's been the case in the past. I know he's walking less than he has in five years or so, so far in 2022. But I am finding myself somewhat intrigued in just about any deep mixed league. Again, 14, 15 teams and deeper. There's some versatility in terms of eligibility in some leagues. But more importantly, stolen bases are hard to find. And at least in this case, you're getting it with someone who's at the top of a batting order. So many sources of speed that will emerge late in the year are very flawed players that also end up in the bottom third of the batting order, at least VR won't hurt you as much in some of the other categories as those future sources of steals will. So, so I, I want to give him one more shot. Like it's, it's a little risky, but not that risky based on what I expect to be reasonable fab bids for him uh, over the weekend. 
One of the other outfielders that I think is pretty interesting is in Houston, Jake Myers. He's getting more chances to play in part because of the Michael Brantley injury. I think Myers came back from his own injury before Brantley went on the IL. So Myers versus Chaz McCormick could turn into a bit of an ongoing battle for playing time in center field once the Astros have everybody healthy. The problem there is both Myers and Chaz McCormick are right-handed hitters, so you don't have a clear sort of platoon, and I think that could make it really challenging to figure out who's actually going to play. Both are more interesting players than they were given credit for, which kind of seems like a recurring theme in the Astros organization. I mean, obviously, Jeremy Pena's breakout this year was a big one. They let George Springer go last year and didn't seem to miss a beat with guys like this sort of filling in and just kind of doing what they do. Do you have a preferred target now that Myers is healthy? Do you think one of these options in the Houston outfield between Myers and McCormick can emerge to take over the bulk of the playing time in that spot? I think it is Myers. Uh, So I definitely have a preference for Myers. And part of the reason for that, if I'm backtracking and remembering this correctly, was that when Myers came off the IL, McCormick got sent down. So they were making room for Myers by sending McCormick down. That to me was a big signal. And I do like the the skill set from Myers just a little bit better. I think he's got a higher ceiling in terms of batting average, as long as he keeps the the strikeouts down, which so far in, in a very limited uh, set of plate appearances he is doing. Um, and a little bit of power there. So yeah, I, I do... Uh, have some interest in Myers, whereas I think with McCormick, he's more of a deep league. Uh, there's a term you've used, DVR, and I, uh, roster spackle. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I, I That's kind of how I'm viewing McCormick. I think he's got his uses in deeper leagues, but I don't expect it to be uh, for the entirety of the second half. Yeah, I watch too much HGTV, I think, since roster spackle is becoming something I say on a regular basis. Now I'm known for this term, and I'm a little ashamed of myself. A couple other names that I think are really interesting. Nolan Jones appears to be coming up for Cleveland. Really nice numbers, AAA, around a couple of injuries this year. I'm just a little skeptical because the K rate has been pretty high through most of his time in the minor leagues, so I'm worried that he's going to strike out more than 30% of the time. The good news is he does draw a lot of walks. And I'm trying to decide if the spike in ground balls is just the result of a relatively small sample at AAA and, and maybe the injuries kind of changing the shape of his production. There's definitely some power. There's some speed there as well. 14 for 17 as a base dealer now, over 122 games at AAA, going back to the start of last season for Nolan Jones. So in what types of leagues are you interested and how aggressively do you think you'd be bidding on Jones where available this weekend? Uh, Not that aggressively, but uh, where I will be bidding is 15-team leagues, not 12-team leagues. Uh, maybe have him on the watch list there because I don't think playing time is going to be an issue for Jones. Uh, I think you know we've been saying for how long that the Guardians have uh, needs, uh, they have holes to fill in the outfield. So there's clearly going to be playing time for him uh, now that he's been moved off a of third base. And he does have that interesting blend of skills that you were talking about. We just haven't necessarily seen them all at the same time. Uh, so there could be some a power speed combination with a, with a decent batting average, but as you were alluding to the uh, the strikeout rate, that's got to be manageable. Um, so there's 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 potential there, there's ceiling, but I'm not particularly optimistic for seeing it in his first exposure uh, to the to the major leagues. So definitely want him in my 15 teamers uh, to see if it, how much of that can come together for him. But it it does feel a little aggressive to to bid on him in 12 teamers. 
Jones might not be the only player breaking through this weekend. Esturi Ruiz, we talked about last week, might be getting an opportunity with the Padres. Uh, unfortunately, it's the result of that scary collision that people may have seen uh, that sent Jerks and Profar to a local hospital. I saw a diagnosis today. He was diagnosed with a concussion, which is not at all surprising based on uh, what played out on the field at Petco. Uh, if the Padres turn to Ruiz, I think our expectation is that he's going to bring speed right away. And because he can bring speed, that's going to probably spike the bidding quite a bit. The problem I think we have to look at is the playing time volume is far from guaranteed. The roster spot is even far from guaranteed, even though Ruiz has been phenomenal at AA and AAA so far this season. Yeah, and the quote that I saw, and unfortunately I don't remember the source of the quote, and I'm going to paraphrase anyway here, but that uh, prior to uh, the the profile injury, there wasn't a plan to bring Ruiz up anytime soon because while he clearly has incredible speed, that uh, the organization didn't feel he was ready in terms of pretty much every other aspect of his game. Now, I sometimes wonder how, how sincere those statements are. Because uh, th- those kinds of things seem to come up a lot, uh, you know. Well, so and so, they're not, we're not bringing them up because they need to develop more, and you know, there may be another reason. But uh, I, I don't know if this really changes their clock or not. Um, so we'll have to see. And it also does worry me that if maybe that is true, that um, he'll have trouble even translating those stolen base numbers to the major leagues because is he going to get on base enough? So uh, I. If uh, the bidding is really intense this weekend, I might not wind up with him anywhere because um, I don't know that um, you know, how confident I am that he's really gonna gonna be a difference maker. Yeah, it's a situation to monitor for sure over the next forty eight hours or so leading into the time that those pickups get processed later this weekend. But definitely a name people have been watching now for a couple of weeks in Esturi Ruiz. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Speaking of the Padres, and if you you know aren't in a situation where Cal Raleigh is available, Jorge Alfaro is having a nice year. And it's kind of funny that A.J. Preller is really kind of bringing the band together between you know Alfaro being acquired, Profar being a, someone he brought in a couple years ago, Nomar Mazzara. Those are all former Rangers prospects that I believe were brought into that organization by Preller when he was part of that front office. Uh, anyway, Jorge Alfaro not hurting us in batting average right now gets a trip to Coors, a four-game trip to Coors during the upcoming week, actually has outfield eligibility in some leagues too, which you never know in a pinch. Maybe you need to move him around a little bit. How much do you trust him from a skills perspective beyond the appeal that he brings with the schedule coming up this week with seven games and four of them being in Colorado? 
I actually like the skills, which I know if you just look at the top line peripherals, uh, starting with a 34.7% strikeout rate versus a 4.7% walk rate, that might sound kind of crazy. But this is somebody who every single season has hit for a, 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 well, okay, there was one year, the first year at the Marlins where he hit 226, but otherwise has hit from a decent to good batting average because he's got that profile of like a 350, I say 350 Babbitt pitter. I'm actually looking at his page right now. He has a career 376 Babbitt rate over more than 1,500 plate appearances because he hits a ton of live drives and he never pops out. So that really neutralizes a lot of those strikeouts. There is a little bit of pop there. Uh, I wish he had a little bit more playing time, but um, again, a catcher, once you get below that threshold of, you know, the top 12 to 15 or so, you're looking at everybody who's kind of a three game a week catcher anyway. So you've got somebody who's able to hit for a little bit of power, hit for a decent average, uh, produce some runs uh, that that's going to be a useful player. Yeah, it's interesting because if you were in a situation where both Raleigh and Alfaro were available, you would prefer Raleigh, right? I would prefer Raleigh by a lot. And the the really surprising thing is he is less rostered on each of the three major platforms Hmm. than Alfaro is. It's not a big difference. They're pretty equivalent. But Alfaro is actually the more rostered uh, player right now. Alfaro is a good extreme example, though, of a player that I've always pretty much stayed away from because of his biggest flaw. You look at the walks compared to the strikeouts. You don't see a lot of players who keep regular big league jobs that strike out almost seven times as often as they walk. I mean, that's a really hard thing to do. Guys that strike out five times more than they walk are usually players I'm afraid of. That's like an Adelise Garcia sort of profile or a Ryan Mountcastle sort of profile. So Alfaro really takes that to another extreme. But at catcher, there's more swing and miss at that position than pretty much any other position. So the batting average expectations are generally lower. And because he makes the hard contact, like you mentioned, He's been able to get away with it for most of his career. I know the pandemic shortened 2020 season. He hit 226 that year. It was only 31 games. And even last season, a 244 from your catcher, that's not going to break you, especially when you find a way to pop a few homers. And last season, he was also 8 for 9 as a base stealer. So one of those guys that I think is having a better season than people realize and probably has just a little more value and a little more floor than I previously thought. Um, so other catchers that are kind of interesting Eric Haas remains under-rostered in two catcher situations. He's 12% rostered on CBS right now. It's interesting that he has lowered his K rate so far this season. And I'd throw Carson Kelly in kind of to the same sort of tier where if you look at Kelly since he came back from that stint on the IL, he's been 16 games now with three homers, 11 RBIs, still having a hard time with average. He's got like a 204 average during that span. But he's only striking out about 11% of the time since coming back. So it seems like Carson Kelly is turning his season around, albeit not necessarily as quickly as some people would have hoped. Well, one path that I maybe saw for, for Carson Kelly was that um, with the Diamondbacks having some some outfield prospects, and of course, Corbin Carroll, primary among them, that maybe uh, uh, Dalton Varsho would be get moved back to catcher, and then you'd see either a reduced role for Kelly or maybe he'd get traded. And so on the Thursday show, if you haven't listened to the Thursday version of this podcast yet from this week, check it out because we talked to three beat writers. We talked to Zach Buchanan was one of them. We got some great insight from all three of them, really fantasy relevant nuggets of information. And so I presented this idea to Zach Buchanan and he said, no, the Diamondbacks really like what Carson Kelly does behind the plate. 
So if, um, I mean, probably Corbin Carroll isn't going to be up this year, but let's say Dominic Fletcher, if he comes up, it's probably going to be a different path like David Peralta getting traded. So uh, Kelly will likely have that opportunity to work out of the batting average funk and uh, be more the player that we saw in 2019. Yeah, I think with both Kelly and Haas, there's more potential value throughout the entire second half than there is with someone like Sebi Zavala, who's currently filling in for Yasmani Grandal. Looks like Grandal's coming back just after the All-Star break, so you get a little more time if you need Zavala as a temporary solution, but I think there's more stable skills from both Kelly and Haas if you're scrambling to fill out that second catcher spot. Uh, two more infielders to get to real quick. Josh Smith in Texas playing a lot, Al, but he needs to hit the ball hard more often. I mean, it's a small sample so far, still looking for his first barrel on the season. That becomes a problem for me pretty quickly. I'm starting to look at him as more of a deep league speed dart than someone who's going to help in more than a couple categories. Well, I mean, you could kind of view him as, um, my, you know, Miles Straw, who hasn't been demoted from the leadoff spot yet. So uh, when Miles Straw was leading off, there was some appeal there, even if he wasn't hitting for much of a batting average. But um, it, it is a limited appeal and definitely 15 team versus uh, 12 team. Yeah, Josh Smith so far this season, and again, it's only 65 plate appearances, so it's 41 batted ball events, a 24.4% hard hit rate. That is the lowest of all the bats that we have talked about on this show so far. So that is scary, right? If you, you get a low barrel rate, but you're at least making hard contact, maybe you're hitting the ball on the ground too much, you could see the barrels maybe coming later on. It's really hard to see power coming from Josh Smith anytime soon. So he's very dependent upon keeping a spot high in that Rangers order. And then there's David VR, who we've talked about a bit on our Tuesday show with the prospect focus as someone that was putting up good power numbers at AAA Sacramento. I think he's still more of an NL only league sort of player and like a deep dynasty league dart than someone that I'd actually want to take a chance on for a deep mix league. Maybe 15 teamers. I mean, I'm going to look and see what my needs are on, on Sunday. I think VR at minimum will be a contingent bid for me in those 15 team leagues. He's already got two more barrels than Josh H. Smith has. So so there's that in less than a week. Uh, he doesn't have much to show for it in terms of fantasy stats, but he's hit the ball hard in, in limited time. And the great news is, is that he's he's playing. I think he's played every, I think he's started every game since his uh, promotion. So some encouraging things there for VR. And real quick, too, I found a few names that really stood out to me. I was digging through our 16-team Keeper League for some players who are still available that have been playing well over the last four weeks. They got a nice 28-day filter over at CBS, of course. Daniel Vogelback hitting 263 with a 372 OBP, 512 slug in the last 28 days, five homers, 14 walks against 19 strikeouts. I think the thing that you'll notice if you look at his numbers for the season, he's lagging compared to other players who hit like he does because of where he has been hitting in the order and, of course, the quality of that Pittsburgh lineup. The Pirates' offense, I think, will be a tick better in the second half than it was in the first half. You get growth from someone like Cabrian Hayes. Brian Reynolds had that slow start that he's really turned around. You bring up O'Neill Cruz for the second half. Maybe a few other interesting prospects show up along the way. Wouldn't surprise me if those counting stats got a little bit better. Obviously, there's some risk that he becomes a, a left-handed bench bat for a contender at the trade deadline, too. But he's just playing at a level that's good enough to fill in on the corner in some leagues where he's actually available. 15 team leagues and deeper. Vogelback, I think, should be rostered. Uh, Miguel Rojas doing a little bit of everything, hitting for average, a little bit of power. Four for four as a base stealer as well. Always seems like a guy that gets to better numbers than you'd expect. It's hard to rely on him as more than a temporary solution 
in mixed leagues, but playing well in recent weeks and playing often. The name that I think is pretty interesting is actually two on this group that I'm I'm not really sure what to make of these guys. They're two outfielders, Matt Veerling and Brian De La Cruz. And Veerling is showing power and good plate skills. He's only starting about two-thirds of the time right now, but he's beginning to move around and play some infield positions in addition to the occasional turn in the outfield. So I'm looking at Veerling versus Brian De La Cruz, and I'm curious if you're speculating on one to take over a larger share of playing time on his team, who do you actually like better at this point? It's a, it's a tough call. I, I like them both uh, as deep league guys that I'm probably stashing in the short term. I guess uh, forced to pick one, I think that... Um, De La Cruz is a little bit more interesting because he's just really been hitting with a lot of power for the last few weeks, almost the last month. And it's a little less impressive because whereas you say Veerling's playing about two out of every three games, uh, De La Cruz is, it's more like one out of every two, but I think there could be an opportunity for him to get more playing time. And it wouldn't even necessarily take uh, a trade of like Avisael Garcia to make that happen. There have been times uh, over this season where De La Cruz has played pretty regularly. So, uh, there could just be a little bit of shifting in roles and he could up his playing time. But I, I'm really curious to see where this power surge is going to go for De La Cruz because it's, it was not something that I expected. And um, it's been impressive, even though it's been over a short period. Yeah, De La Cruz is the type of player that usually I'm looking at in mono leagues or back during draft season and draft and holds because when a player like that finds more playing time, some good things can happen. There is raw power, a little bit of speed, I think, in that profile, too, if memory serves me right. Let's take a look at some shallow league starting pitchers. Simple question as we begin the pitching section today. Nick Lodolo, is he shallow league viable for you as we look ahead to next week and beyond? Not for me right now. Um, And maybe I'm waiting the very limited major league track record over the extremely impressive minor league track record. But in a way, I I guess I'm sort of counting on my my fellow fantasy managers to do the same thing. Uh, I would be surprised if there was a lot of activity in my 12-teamers for uh, for Lodolo. So I'm I'm willing to wait that out. See, I'm trying to figure out how much of my view of Lodolo is co-managing a team where he's been stashed for a few weeks. You know, sometimes you get kind of tricked into thinking that your your specific view of the player pool is more widely held than it is. One thing that I'm looking at with Lodolo that's pretty interesting is he does pretty well in Eno Saris's pitching model. The stuff number is really good at 113. The overall number at 101 is strong. And even the location number at 98.7 is very close to average. So I see quite a bit to like overall. Obviously, those minor league numbers that you alluded to are fantastic. I think I'm going to push him into that top 50, top 60 range among starting pitchers in terms of where I'm valuing him in the short term. I know you got to be careful with some of those home starts at Great American Ballpark, but pitching's been so difficult to find, and comparing his underlying numbers to a lot of other pitchers that we talk about on this show on a week-to-week basis, I think there is a bit of a gap between Lodolo and the field. So if he happened to have been dropped in some of the shallow leagues that were out there while he was on the injured list, I'm actually going to be a little more aggressive than Al, I think, and take that chance now because you might not be able to take that chance a little bit later. Um, One guy that I'm going to be a little more careful with, though, is Brian Bayo. It's not because I don't believe in him long-term. It's because I just don't know... As they get healthier, I know Evaldi's got a rehab start coming up this weekend. Sale's supposed to be back on Tuesday. With the All-Star break, they probably get a little bit healthier yet, looking ahead to the second half. So Brian Bayo's time in the Red Sox rotation could be coming to an end. Maybe he sticks around 
as a multi-inning reliever. We've kind of wondered about that for the better part of this season when he's come up on this show. So in what spots are you going to be bidding on Brian Bayo this weekend? In the waiver column, I did put a recommendation for 12-team bidding, which I think I left at 1% to 2% of FAB. So, you know, almost a nominal bid for all the reasons, DVR, that you just cited. I, I would be very surprised if he's in the rotation a month from now or even three weeks from now. And and it possibly he goes back to AAA even sooner, uh, even with all the, the starters that the Red Sox have uh, on the IL right now. Uh, that first start, it was obviously not, um, you know, not what you wanted to see, but I think we can, you know, cut any, uh, top prospect, a, a break when they come up and make their first start. And especially when they face a team like the guardians who really don't swing and miss very often. So, uh, that, that's not so much the reason why I'm probably going to sit this one out for 12 teamers, but, uh, definitely going about 5% in 15 teamers just on the hope that uh, you just never know. Uh, our colleague Nando Defino says, uh, you know, they always find a way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe uh, Bayo finds a way and uh, you'll be glad that you had him. Yeah, the payoff could be there eventually. I just wonder if it's going to be a little bit bumpy on the way, especially if the command doesn't come around as quickly as we'd like it to. Question here from Disco Dave. Should I drop Eric Lauer and add Tarek Skubel? Two guys that have really started the season well and then, run into a bit of a, a rough stretch over the last month or so, at least where the, the ratios have kind of pushed back closer to what people might have expected back on draft day. That's a tough one. Um, I think I would not. I would not um, because I, I do view them, at least for the season, as being pretty equivalent. And I do worry that Scoobles going to struggle like he did last year where he just he goes week after week after week with um, – giving up a lot of home runs. So there's obviously reasons to be concerned about both of them right now, but I think I would just stay the course. Yeah, I like them pretty similarly the rest of the way in terms of core skills. I just like Lauer's situation a lot better. I think the Adrian Hauser injury further solidifies his hold in a rotation spot. Peralta's not close to coming back. You know, Scoobles' role is safe, but the Tigers could get worse before they get better. I think that team context could ultimately be something that works against him a little bit, even if he can find a way to turn around his recent struggles, which I, I wouldn't be surprised by, but slight edge to Lauer because I just prefer the team context there by a reasonable margin at this point. Let's get to a few more pitchers that are probably widely available and, and could be useful in some shallow leagues. Reed Detmers, and this is me rounding up because I really believed in Reed Detmers back during draft season, and I finally dropped him last month. It's been a really strange season for him so far. Had the no-hitter. Strikeouts haven't been there. He went down to AAA, rediscovered his old slider, had 14 strikeouts in a start, and now he's back up. And we're going to see him make a start before we get to his turn next week, so that's going to probably shape what people are willing to bid. The problem that I see, aside from everything that happened before he got demoted, is that he has the Dodgers coming up next week. So there are pretty much zero leagues where I'm going to pick up Reed Detmers and use him next week. And then you think about the All-Star break following that. A three-game week coming out of the break for the Angels. He's probably not as a young pitcher going to be in their first three since young pitchers' innings are usually monitored really carefully coming out of the break. So you're probably waiting two whole weeks after picking him up before he's actually in your active lineup again. And then you're still not exactly sure what you're getting from a skills perspective, even though it's very encouraging 
that he had that great start at AAA and maybe rediscovered a pitch that will help him get more swing and miss this time around as a big league starter. Well, you just validated every reason that I was summoning to to not uh, not bid very much on Detmers this weekend. And um, you'd put out a tweet uh, outlining your experience of you know you, you bid a lot on him and you you held on and you held on and then you let let him go. And I, I felt like you were describing my experience with Detmers. So <laughs> the one thing that uh, I got, have to be careful not to do is not to back off of bidding from Detmers just because I really, really overbid the first time around. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's gone. That's, that's a sunk cost. Uh, there, like you said, there are reasons in terms of uh, him rediscovering the slider to be a little bit more hopeful. So probably find the middle ground uh, and not back off completely. But uh, yeah, that's a temptation that I'll definitely have to work against. All right. So we, agree that we're not putting Detmers in the shallow league conversation at all in the short term. It's more of a watch him in shallow leagues and look at how your roster fits together for next week because you're almost certainly not using him against the Dodgers. There's no reason to do that. So it's just a weird, kind of a weird part of the schedule for him to be back up for. Tough break if you're not in a first come, first serve sort of league. Uh, Luis Patino, we talked about him, I think, briefly last week. Still not back up with the Rays. Seems like it's going to happen sooner rather than later, but he's also in this group of young pitchers where they could be careful with him around the break. They could take advantage of the schedule, wait a little longer, keep the innings down, and then just let him go as much as he possibly can from the start of the second half onward. Do you still have interest in Luis Patino as a possible impact shadow league arm? I think it's it's a very similar situation to how you just summarized Detmers. Uh, I'm not. I, I I do have some hope for that with Patino, but I feel like it's remote enough that he can just stay on the watch list. And so for right now, if he's available in 15 teamers, that's where I'm limiting my bidding. Yeah, I keep waiting and waiting and waiting for that call up to happen. I think the skills are good enough where he will be an impact pitcher, even in 12 team leagues. I'm not stashing him in 12 team leagues right now. It's got to be at least 15 teams. And it's still, again, tough because of all the injuries we're dealing with to hold players like this on our redraft rosters. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of their stash consideration, again, if we're looking for ceiling, looking for players that could actually do something for us later on, what are you doing with Dustin May in leagues where he's available? He's someone you expect to see back in a prominent role in that Dodgers rotation and contributing for us during the second half of the season. It's possible. I, I'll admit he hasn't really been on my radar. Um, it's you know, It's been long enough, but... Yeah, I, I'm going to wait on Dustin May. I just feel like there's there's not a lot of buzz right now. And 
trying to read the room <laughs> with all these pitchers that we we're talking about so far. Uh, I'm not going to be prioritizing him this week, but uh, definitely need to, to keep him in, in mind uh, for, for after the break. He looked so good before he got hurt last year. 35 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio in 23 innings over five starts to begin the season. A 274 ERA, a .96 whip. We're talking about a guy that's over 100 big league innings now in parts of three different seasons. A sub-3 ERA while doing it. Missing a lot of bats along the way. It might be a little early in some leagues, but don't forget about him completely because I think he's good enough to make a dent in shallow leagues. A lot of the guys we talk about regularly on this show are not good enough to do that, at least on a start-by-start basis. They're more of the streaming variety, which brings us to a lot of our other names. Drew Smiley back in for the Cubs. I mean, this is here, here's the next group of guys on the rundown. We've got Drew Smiley. We got Patrick Corbin. We got Garrett Hill, who I think is an Al guy. Like there's there are mm-hmm. Nando guys and there are Al guys. I think <laughs> Garrett Hill's an Al guy. Spencer Howard's a Nando guy, but he's kind of a DVR guy too, in the same way that Reed Detmers is, because I'm a glutton for punishment. And then there's Steven Matz, who I've never really liked, but feel like I kind of have to like because the strikeout minus walk rate has been good this year. The Cardinals are a good team. The park is not as hitter friendly as it was playing earlier in the season. It's sort of settling in as a more neutral environment. So I'm looking at this group and of these five, I think Steven Matz is actually the guy that I like the most if I have to pick one up and, and think about using him right away. Yeah, I, I included him in this week's waiver comp for one reason is that he could be back next Sunday. Uh, so initially it looked like maybe it was going to be a two-start week where Mats would be activated for, I think it was a Tuesday start. Uh, but he his most recent uh, AAA rehab start, he was, I think, about 15 pitches shy of where they wanted him to be. So he looks like he's going to make another rehab start. So that could still line him up for a start this week. I wouldn't want to use Mats this week, but I'd rather pick him up now and then start using him after the break, see how he does, if he does pitch on Sunday. And yeah, what you were saying, like the strikeout to walk ratio was really good. Just a lot of line drives, a few too many home runs, but those are ratios that I would expect for Matt's are going to normalize. The the ERA um, uh, alternatives had the estimators have Matt's right now, even though his real ERA is above six, they have him as like a three ERA guy so far. I'm not sure I buy that rest of season, but gives you an idea of what he could be if he just doesn't give up so many line drives and cuts back on the homers a bit. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely not there as a low threes ERA sort of thing with Matt's, but definitely on my radar as a pickup now that he's closer to coming back from the injured list. Hopefully we get more updates before the end of the weekend. Uh, I want to ask you, what is it about Garrett Hill that you actually kind of like and, and where's the cutoff for you in terms of where you, you'd actually want to use him? Cut off his 15 teamers, uh, the reasons for liking him, strikeouts at double A AA and triple A, especially double A. And yeah, he did it as a 26 year old, but I'm, you know, thinking of him as like the David VR pitchers right now, uh, you know, doing well at the minors, even though he's old for, for a prospect and opportunity. I mean, opportunity is probably the, the bigger part of that reasoning. Just, uh, as long as he's not awful, I think he'll have a rotation spot, uh, going forward with the Tigers and, you know, even if he can be like eight strikeouts per nine, maybe even seven and a half strikeouts per nine uh, with the Tigers, that, that's going to be useful in a 15-teamer. Fair. All right. I'm I'm looking at him really carefully with the matchups and, and trying to pick my spots if Garrett Hill ends up on any of my rosters in the short term. But there could be a longer-term opportunity there than I expected when he first got that promotion. 
Um, the Patrick Corbin question is, do you see anything that's different enough in the profile to believe that what he has done more recently is actually real? If you look at baseball savant, it seems to be something different with his fastball, more velocity, and it's looking like an uptick in sinkers and a downturn in four-seamers, which to me is going to require some more video review to see how much is actually going on there. But Corbin has just been so surprisingly bad going all the way back to the beginning of, of last season. I am very afraid to trust him, even if we see some subtle changes in pitch mix. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm not seeing it. I mean, you're, you're kind of going a level deeper than I've gone in terms of looking at the, the pitch mix, just in terms of the results, you know, look, the indicators, I am not seeing anything there. That's giving me a lot of confidence in Patrick Corbin. So after each of the last few starts, I go back and look, is there something there? I'm not seeing it yet. Velo for me is the one thing that I think is a little bit different, but it would still be. 15-team leagues, and my ratios are broken, which I have teams like that. So maybe it's more of a, a min-bid, got to get someone, got to get innings, kind of playing the volume game sort of thing with Patrick Corbin. But if he if he's turned a corner, I'm not quite seeing it yet. So do your own research on that one and see if you can find something that makes sense to you uh, along the way. The Spencer Howard thing, I mean, the numbers of AAA weren't that bad. The ERA is close to 11 so far this season. He's a two-star pitcher, two at home if he stays in the rotation for both turns. The first one's against Oakland, which who wouldn't I throw against Oakland right now? And then the second one's against Seattle, so it's not it's not easy, but it's not the worst of the worst possible matchups, right? He's not snagging the Yankees or the Astros or one of the teams that you're consistently staying away from. So can I interest you in Spencer Howard as a deeper league pickup? You, you absolutely can. Uh, and I've not really considered myself a, a Howard guy, so I've not really been in the, the same boat with you and Nando on that. But in looking back at what he did last year, where uh, the the surface level stats were pretty bad, but if you, you drill down another level and you look at the, the plate discipline profile, um, it was pretty good. Was, I think his CSW was above 28%. I think the, the contact rate on end zone pitches was under 80%, which is actually outstanding. So there were some things to be encouraged by there and then very good numbers. Uh, you know, you said, I think you said, you know, decent or not bad numbers at AAA this year. I, I actually feel like that undersells a little bit. I thought he, he put up some nice numbers at round rock and that combined with some encouraging things from 2021 uh, with those two matchups. I'd, I'd give him a whirl. If it, I, I wouldn't do it with my first place team, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, if the stakes were a little bit lower and I'm just trying to, to uh, you know, add some bulk and catch up, I absolutely would would try uh, Spencer Howard this week. Yeah, I'm like I said, I'm chasing and I, I think he he stands out to me and the results, the K's were there at AAA 60 strikeouts and 46 and a third inning so far this season kept the ball in the park as well. Only 19 walks the ratios were were solid. A 369 ERA is pretty good. A 126 whip. You'd like to see a little better against AAA competition but I'm cautiously optimistic pitching model also points to a guy that might be quite a bit better than people realize again when you're looking at the surface numbers which have been just atrocious for Spencer Howard in very limited innings so far with the Rangers a couple other names that I want to bring up here as we look for other sources of pitching this is more about matchups for the rest of this group you've got Daniel Lynch with a two-step this week Home against the Tigers, but then road against the Blue Jays. 
Daniel Lynch constantly on our rundowns and constantly a source of frustration. Are you trying to push him in for volume situations this week? No, no. I mean, I, I could conceive maybe if I had a team uh, that was pretty far down, uh, if he were one of the better options available, maybe give it a try. But I think that's asking for trouble with that Toronto matchup. And in reality, I'm probably not uh, not trying that anywhere this week. I think the 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 appeal of of Lynch is more your your deep keeper in dynasty leagues where you're playing for the future. You want to see if he figures it out over the course of the second half when the stakes are really like zero. It's more just, hey, maybe I found a cheap in-season pickup that I can hold on to. I think that's the the sweet spot for me right now with Daniel Lynch based on how things have gone uh, over the course of this season. But I think the other name that's kind of standing out to me from a two-star perspective, at least as a streamer, is Josh Winder. They're not necessarily easy matchups, home against the Brewers and home against the White Sox. Winder's skills, I think, are probably better than we've seen so far. I'm a little surprised. It's only 27 strikeouts and 40 in a third innings. Good control, only 12 walks over that workload. What do you make of Josh Winder getting this chance for the Twins? I mean, that's the kind of profile in a two-start week if you're not too scared of the matchups that that, that can work. I mean, you don't need to have a strikeout per inning pitcher in a two-start week to help you out. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a little underwhelmed. I... I could, I would be okay with him in a 15-teamer. I'm just not sure he's going to be a priority when I uh, look at all the the options that are available. All right, we got more streamers for two start weeks to consider. Michael Pineda at Kansas City and at Cleveland. Same matchup for Bo Brisky. If that does anything for you, hard no on both of them. I wanted so badly with those matchups to say yes, um, but Pineda is getting no swing and miss this year. Uh, Brisky's getting a little bit more, but the overall profile isn't isn't very good. I actually like Brisky more than Pineda and probably more than Winder and Lynch as a short-term sort of add, just based on how the Tigers are letting him go right now. Um, that's not necessarily a go-get-him-everywhere sort of endorsement, but more of a put-him-on-your-contingency-bid list if you need some volume this week. Uh, Daniel Castano in the Marlins rotation gets two at home against the Pirates and the Phillies. I think that's actually sort of playable in deep leagues, but probably more borderline than anything with fewer than 15 teams. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned Braxton Garrett last week. Another good streaming opportunity for him home against Pittsburgh. Even if you're generally skeptical of him, this is a great spot to get him into your lineup. I, I agree. Uh, I'm going to try to this week. And uh, yeah, that's a that's a great one-start stream, obviously. And I'm not a skeptic. I really like what he's done in terms of uh, the last several starts. I want to say maybe four in a row where he's been uh, double-digit percentages in terms of whiffs, high chase rates, um, not you know a whole lot of contact in the zone, uh, all good stuff. So uh, I'd feel great about that. Last pitching name on the starter side that I want to throw at you is Jake Odorizzi. Does he fit into the, yeah, I'd use pretty much anyone against Oakland group? I think so. Not, I'm not enthusiastic about it, but I'd have a hard time saying no to that. It shouldn't cost much either in terms of fab on the roster and then off again. Obviously, if you're in a league that has innings restrictions, the low strikeout rate can hurt you a little bit more there. So it's less of a, a, clear stream situation in those conditions, but I think generally speaking, I do like Odorizzi in that matchup. Let's talk about some relievers. We just got some news before we started recording that the Rangers have removed Joe Barlow, at least temporarily. 
as their closer. So I said at the beginning of the show, didn't look like a great week for saves. Well, maybe there's at least an option or two to take a chance on in Texas. Now, the good news is we get a whole weekend series to play before we have to actually make a decision. But it's also possible that there won't be a clear-cut replacement. There won't be a save opportunity, and we'll have to go into Sunday night taking our best guess at who that replacement is going to be. Al, as you look at the Rangers relievers behind Joe Barlow, is there anybody that stands out to you as the best alternative for saves? I I would say probably Matt Moore, but I could definitely see the the Rangers playing matchups here. So I don't think I'd be um, you know, looking to to really bid on any of the candidates here uh with with all that much gusto. Um Jose Leclerc was somebody I think we talked about a few weeks ago when he first got uh, got activated. Uh, he's not been his old self. He's not been bad, but just um, not somebody to me that looks like he would run away with the job. So I have a feeling this is going to be a, a frustrating situation where no one reliever um, really is going to be able to help anybody that much. I mean, it's possible and Barlow could get the job back in a week or two and the time in between could just be fab poorly spent. I did see... Dennis Santana's name mentioned by one of the Rangers writers. Uh, so that's a possibility looking at his numbers for the season. K-rate is surprisingly low for Santana compared to his swinging strike rate. Hasn't had any issues with home runs so far this year. Uh, walking batters at his lowest rate since 2018. That was three and two-thirds innings. So that was a meaningless number of innings. So a lot going right for Dennis Santana right now. So I think that could actually make some sense. I like the more call as well. I mean, obviously, you can only throw one dart in most of these situations. So I think the edge for me probably goes to Santana. That being said, they have a million lefties in that bullpen. So being a lefty does not disqualify Matt Moore from getting that chance in this situation. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, But he stands out, but not so much that, yeah, for example, he and Santana maybe could be sort of platooned uh, in, in high leverage situations. But as you said, we'll have uh, a few days to see how this plays out. Hopefully the Rangers have some safe opportunities. Yeah, I'm looking to see is Garrett Richards showing us anything in the in the bullpen. It doesn't look too bad, so maybe that's a way to try and, and pump up his value a little bit. But uh, if you gave me one shot, Dennis Santana is that guy for now. And that, of course, can change based on what they do over the weekend. Are you taking any chances in the Dodgers bullpen? Craig Kimbrell couldn't finish out a save on Thursday night. And that was a game in which Bruce Dark Gratterall actually left with an injury. Is there someone else to speculate on and to possibly stash in the Dodgers pen? Because if it's me, it's probably Evan Phillips. But I still don't have a high degree of confidence that they would move away from Craig Kimbrell so long as he's healthy. Yeah, I kind of have the same suspicion, uh, too. Uh, so I, I'm probably not going to do much there uh, this this weekend. I did mention, I want to say maybe a week or two ago, uh, that I could see Alex Vesia maybe getting some save opportunities. But you mentioned Phillips. Uh, if it wasn't Kimbrel, I don't know that either Phillips or Vesia would, would uh, you know, be uh, – getting enough opportunities to help in fantasy. So I think I'm sitting this one out, too, and, and – probably watching Kimbrel uh, just keep on getting opportunities. Yeah, I think aside from Phillips, Yency Almonte, and then Alex Vesia, he mentioned, those are the three guys that I'm just watching from a, a usage perspective, trying to see if there's any indication of who they would really turn to if Kimbrel does get hurt or pitches poorly enough 
long enough to lose the job. But the underlying numbers for Kimbrel actually do look better than the surface numbers. Dodger fans don't want to hear it. People that have Kimbrel on their teams right now don't want to hear it. But it doesn't look like an obvious will-lose-job-for-sure sort of situation for Craig Kimbrell right now, as frustrating as things have been in recent weeks. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thanks to those of you who tuned in live on YouTube. Most Fridays, we go live at 4 Eastern on the Athletic Fantasy YouTube channel, so be sure to hit the like button on this video if you watch us there. Give us a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you listen to the podcast version of the show. And if you'd like to check out Al's waiver column, plus all the other great content that we have at The Athletic, $1 a month gets you in the door for the first six months at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast on Twitter. Al is at Al Melchior BB. I am at Derek Van Riper. Good luck with your pickups this weekend. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Tuesday.